0: What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality.
1: We function like a Fortune 500 company but there's that transparency element um, and there is that
0: preparation to grow. All right, you guys, we are so excited to be back with you guys for another interview episode. Today, we have the vibrant and incredibly brilliant Marin Costello with us. Marin and I went to college together at UCLA, and she is such an inspiring entrepreneur. I can't wait to get into her story. So Marin Costello is an American businesswoman, a designer, a brand architect, and her entrepreneurial journey really began at age 10 after she fell in love with the art of jewelry making. Just two decades later, Costello has built a luxury lifestyle brand that has been featured in Vogue, Huffington Post, and Who What Wear, among many others, and whose collection can be found in over 100 retailers nationwide. Now a consultant to companies worldwide, Costello has been named a brand architect, offering perspective, facilitating clarity, and delivering results to clients across all fields of expertise.
2: The Marin Costello approach is holistic in both concept and practice, building both consistency and momentum for clients to withstand the varying seasons of business, entrepreneurship, and life. While her team is currently headquartered in Tampa, Florida, Costello travels the globe connecting with the Marin Costello community, building lasting relationships with clients, and collaborating with other like minded thought leaders and brands. Through excellence and transparency, Marin Costello is centered on a mission to deliver results and exceed customer expectations. And we're thrilled to bring her and her brilliant entrepreneurial voice and all of her teen badass stories to Bridget. So, welcome.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me <laughs> and and the the more developed answer is friendly and really hardworking. I at a very young age because I wasn't given the gift of um, beauty early on, um, I put a lot of energy into my skills, so I doubled down on my work. Um, I mean I think anyone from my childhood through my teen years and now will tell you um, how. Much love and care and energy I put into my work, no matter what the project is or what the company is. Now that there are multiple, Um, so I really doubled down. You know, when I wasn't necessarily the popular kid, I really doubled down on excellence. And the way to do that, at least for me, when I was younger, was through academia, and that ultimately led me to UCLA, and that's where Asha and
0: I met. So, okay, when you started like working with jewelry, so you so you mentioned you really started when you were like seven, right? Um what I mean, what was that like? Like, did you sell to anyone? Was it just like you were making your own like how did you How did you discover it for the first place?
1: So I received a bead kit from my aunt uh, when I was seven, and i back then, I made jewelry for myself. it was my It was such a beautiful source of joy um that I went to It was meditative you know before self care and meditation was really mainstream. Um, far before social media, far before any of those outlets, that was my outlet. That was my me time. Um, That was when I was the happiest. I could do it all day long, every day. I mean, I joke that I babysat myself so long as my bead kit was around. Um, At around 10, age of 10, I had amassed such a large amount of jewelry that I had made that my parents, who are both very entrepreneurial, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs on both sides, uh, they suggested that I sell my pieces from a quarter to a dollar at our local craft fair in the summers. And I did that for 20 years straight, um, you know, up until the pandemic hit. So it really was an organic growth, um, even from a young age, one, because I did have the encouragement of my parents and they, um, being entrepreneurs, they kind of understood what the next step would look like far before the internet was available. I mean, you know, the, the amount of information and access that that teens have nowadays is just so wonderful a little scary but also wonderful in terms of like access to information and so it was just organic for me to sell things and and the quote-unquote brand was forming and kind of evolving even well before I realized that I was creating a company or creating a brand when I was younger I was just doing it for me
2: what was your first piece of jewelry you ever made
1: oh I'm sure it was something along the lines of you know macaroni noodles and yarn, but, uh, but you know, in that bead kit, I mean, it was from, um, staple toy store in San Francisco FAO Schwartz. And it was this like gigantic. I mean, it really took up like half my body when I was little of layers upon layers, upon layers of beads, all of different materials, wood, plastic, glass, um, ceramic, all different things. And so I imagine that my first piece was probably, um, probably something colorful. I think back then I was very much into pink. So it was probably a pink plastic.
2: Love it. Totally off in your own creative world, no plan, just creating. I love that.
1: Although I do re- distinctly remember being a young kid and also into my teens watching TV shows such as Lizzie McGuire and being like, oh, I think I have supplies to make that. Or I think that I could find something similar to that in a Michael's craft store. Um, again, this was before Etsy, before online shopping was, you know, mainstream. So I kind of had to rely on local craft stores, uh, local toy stores who had beads, and then going to, you know, antique stores or vintage stores or consignment stores, getting jewelry and then reworking it.
2: That was actually my next question is like, what influences did you have? Because obviously, when you're younger, you're watching different things. And like, maybe your parents wore a lot of jewelry. So it's just it's, it's fun. I would love to see like the Trajectory of your style over the years, like if you have yeah. pictures and stuff.
1: Oh, I hope you don't. Um, I'm. I, I'm pretty sure I burned those. Um, like I said, when I was younger, shopping wasn't fun because I was on the rounder side. Um, but then, as I kind of came into my own, I really. I used to have very, very, very long brown hair. Um, I used to grow it to donate it. Actually, before I grew it to donate it, um, I was part of you know a dance company, and we had to have long hair. It was part of the requirement. So I had long hair. And then after I graduated high school, um, I just grew it to donate it, grew it to donate it. My style was very bohemian, um, very free people, very, um, a little bit of urban outfitters, but mostly like a free people, a little bit of anthropology, if you will. And then now it's completely different. I have short hair. Um, I was just, you know, my natural color brunette for a few years. I was platinum before then. Now I have kind of like a mixture of blonde and and brown hair and my style is more like edgy professional mm-hmm. um, with a little bit of glam. Like I definitely, you know, I, I straddle between looking like a walking disco ball and then wearing a blazer. So it's like somewhere in between. But as far as my inspiration from my family, my, my mother and my, my maternal grandmother were both very creative, not necessarily, I mean, always well put together, not necessarily on the cusp of fashion, but always very creative and well put together. My dad's mother, my paternal grandmother, who I didn't actually get the opportunity to meet, my mother actually didn't get to meet her. She passed on long before my parents met. She, what I'm told is that she had a very distinct fashionable eye and a very distinct style. Um, She was the cool California aunt and all of my, you know, my dad's cousins and all of her family members were from the East Coast. So she would, you know, show up with you know, with a red lip and, and, you know, over the knee boots and things like that. So I think where I get my genetically, where I probably get my like overt fashion sense is probably from my grandmother.
0: I love that. I love those little elements that are really passed through generations. And sometimes you don't even realize it until you're like, wait, now I'm in it. You know, I'm doing things that are just like what my grandma and even grandma before that um, used to do. You said your parents were entrepreneurs. What um, kind of work were they in?
1: They had a bar, restaurant and hotel for upward of 40 years, um, along with other properties and other ventures. But that was really, you know, brick and mortar in the restaurant industry um, pre-pandemic was really significant. And so they had the same standing building and they still own the building now, they're landlords, but they had the same business for upward of 40 years.
2: I love that it sounds, well, it sounds like your parents were very, um, Pivotal in guiding you through the beginning stages of your entrepreneurialism. Like they sat you down, basically, and were like, "Hey, what do we do with all of this jewelry?" Um, Am I getting that right? Sure.
1: Um, I think it's interesting. I this reminds me of the the term self made. And while I own one hundred percent of the company, I didn't company I didn't have any investors. I don't really believe that anyone is self made. You know, it is it is a team effort. It's a group effort, and my parents and my family I have a long you know, a large extended family on both sides without their support I don't think I'd be here and I mean it's the kind of support and having each other's backs that was just expected and it's just how we behaved as humans and I think that's a testament to you know my my father's family you know being such hard workers and also being in the restaurant industry and having that hospitable element to to who they are innately. And then also my grandparents being, uh, my maternal grandparents being from Guam and having that, that familial um, element um, and expectation of just how they are culturally. So I think the blending of the two just, I mean, there are, I have the most spectacular people in my family and their support was
2: everything. It sounds like it. Can you dive in a little bit to a little bit more of your family background? Do you have siblings? It's um you know you said you have a large extended family. Tell us a little bit more.
1: Sure. So my immediate family it's myself and my sister who's 7 years younger. Mm-hmm. So we are we get along swimmingly. You know, she's one of my dearest friends, but we kind of had our own um our own experiences with our parents and they were very in very different parts of their lives, you know, in their careers when we were both young. So I like to say that we're siblings, but we kind of had our only child moment, you know, on our own with them. Um, and then as far as cousins, when I say large extended family, for some context, my second cousin, so who would be my father's first cousin's son is, for all intents and purposes, is my brother. Technically, he's my second cousin, but, you know, he's my best friend. He's, he's my, my brother, my confidant, my, you know, my pal. Um, But multiply that by, you know, many, I mean, we have many, many, many second cousins who we're all close with. um, And, you know, with that, you know, second cousins who are of the generation above us who we consider to be aunts and uncles. So, and then just the same, my mom's side or my mom and my dad are the respective connectors on within each of their families. So when they got married, both sides of the family regarded each other's family so I have cousins from my mom's side calling cousins and from my dad's side cousins, even though there's no blood relation, but, you know, we're just a very tight-knit family.
0: Where did you, where did you grow up again? Northern
1: California, a little town called Alameda off of Oakland.
0: Yeah. Okay. So did, did a lot of your, your immediate and extended family live close to you?
1: Yes. So my um my mom and my dad my dad is 5 years older than my mother they were both born and raised um, in Alameda okay. my mom has five siblings um so six total and five of them live in Alameda there's one um uncle and aunt that live in in Washington and then my dad's side as i mentioned prior you know my my grandfather was the first was the first child of our you know several generations back who moved from the Boston area to California. Um, But once he did that, everyone stayed pretty local. And I have, um, you know, some cousins and and uncles on that side too, who have kind of dispersed, but everyone's roots is in Alameda.
2: I love that. We're just a trio of Northern California gals here. I
0: love it. Can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, you're talking a little bit about like, like the fact that you didn't like shopping, you know, when you were younger and how jewelry was sort of an outlet for you. How was like your experience of um, like grade school and middle school?
1: So I went to a private school. um, So it was with the same class from K through eight. There were some people that trickled in and some people that trickled out, but really it was, you know, you're with the same 30-ish kids for nine years. And I was very lucky that, you know, Every respective grade had their own relationship within their class, but my class specifically was so close and we still are. If one of us goes back to Alameda or one of us is in town, we let everybody else know and we usually band together and connect. Um, but I will say that I feel personally that my relationships with my classmates developed after graduation. Um, and I think that's, that is my own doing because I personally wasn't comfortable in my own skin um, when I was in grade school. And that's that might not, come it might not have come off that way. You know, it might not even be information that my classmates back then would have believed me in saying. Um, but I personally just wasn't comfortable. There's so many changes and so much self-discovery and, you know, just trying to do your best and figure things out. It was, I remember it being a very difficult, internally, I remember it being a very difficult season for me. And same thing, kind of trickling into high school. I don't think it was honestly after, until after I graduated college and was approaching 30 that I really kind of like felt like my soul was sinking into my actual body. Like I actually felt like there was a connection and I, and I, you know, was the woman that I've always wanted to become. So, um, but again, it's, it's, um, life is beautiful and it was a great experience. Um, and I don't think that it was, I don't think that if I told someone who knew me as a child, that story that they would actually believe me, but it is my truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah well I think it's so reassuring to hear that too because I think especially you know in this age of social media and everybody having a personal brand and everything um especially for our young people there is this pressure to like what's your brand by the time you're you know 14 and you're you're presenting it to the world and like if you don't feel a hundred percent like settled in your own skin what are you gonna do you know that it is a journey and it's an okay one to not be a hundred percent when you're a young person when you're figuring yourself out and what you like and what you don't like and what works and doesn't work for you at different ages and stages.
1: Totally. I feel that there is so much pressure um, that has been placed on, you know, the younger generations, especially, you know, 20 and younger, 30 and younger to have everything, quote, figure, figured out. And, you know, the irony of that all is that living is figuring it out. There's never there's never a moment where you wake up and go, ah, I've, you know, here we are, we've arrived, you know? Um, you know, there might be those moments of fleeting, you know, energy where you feel like, you know, you're really proud of something or you're, like, you're really, uh, you feel connected to what you're doing or to who you are as a human, but there is no end of figuring it out, whatever it is. It's the journey and it's, it's a ride. And, um, I like to give a lot of the people, the younger, People that I mentor, and just family and friends, just some grace and some reassurance that it's honestly better if you don't have it figured out. Because God forbid you peak at fourteen. What's after that? You know,
0: exactly. Well, I honestly feel like I mean we can personally attest to the discovery that usually it's in those moments where it's just like the confusion, the chaos, and things are happening, and they don't necessarily seem great at the time. But it's like, wow, that actually was a crucial thing. To bring me an opportunity to bring exactly. me, a, you know, a new route or shift my direction a little bit, and you can look back obviously and be like, "Wow, actually, that was you know all for the best." But when you're in the thick of it, sometimes it just feels like yeah,
2: painful, you know,
0: yeah.
2: But there's something to gain from every experience, too, even the failures. I mean, that's where you learn the most. Or, um, I was just talking to somebody today at work about their displeasure with their current job and you hear that a lot. I mean, especially with women our age, I mean, you're moving into like your 30s and mid 30s. And at every stage in life, I feel like there are opportunities to figure it out. But the reality is like, okay, so like that didn't feel good or didn't feel right. What's next? But like also, look how much I gained from this. Like that's a whole year of learning and growth and opportunity and like another thing to put on my resume. So I love that outlook, Marin.
1: One of the things that I've learned later on in my career is that when one, the magic is in the challenge, if something isn't sitting right with you, if um, if you're not enjoying something, obviously, so long as safety is not involved, right? If safety is, you know, if your safety is compromised, like get the, you know, what out of there. But if it's just a feeling of this doesn't feel right, that's your body communicating you to get clarity on what you do want. That's pushing you towards what you what your next chapter will be, what your next step will be. I think that there's so much beauty in the struggle and in the challenge because if responded to and honored, you know, appropriately, you can really get so much closer to where you want to be.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious, like when, um, when you were in like grade school, middle school, because we we love to like focus on those kind of juicy, sometimes uncomfortable years. Did you have anyone specific that you leaned on um, or that you were inspired by, whether it was a friend, a teacher, a family member that was really kind of a a point person for you?
1: I was in a dance company and there there were several levels to the company. And so I think I really looked to the older women. And when I say older, I mean older than me when I was a teenager, right? Women in high school, women you know who were out of high school, who were women who were moms who came back to join the company. Um, I really looked to them as, as kind of giving me a barometer of what to reach for. And back then, I think, I mean, in its prime, this dance company was everything. I mean, it was just goals. You know what I mean? Um, but I think they really offered some guidance, um, not directly to me, but indirectly, just being able to observe them and seeing how they moved throughout life. Um, I also, again, my family, you know, I spoke a lot with my, I was very close with my grandmother, my aunts and my mother. Yes. But I think that those relationships developed over time. Once I kind of moved into adulthood, Um, I was very close with my grandmother. Um, And then honestly, myself, I think that I've always enjoyed, you know, my me time and my quiet time and you know, silence can be loud. So listening to your inner voice, like that was really, that was really telling.
0: What kind of dance was it?
1: So the company was Tap Jazz Ballet and like jazz funk, if you will. It was like an attempt at hip hop, but LOL. Um, and, then in, and then in high school, um, I had a, a high school dance um, dance teacher who, where we explored, you know, modern African contemporary ballet. I mean, every every sort of like every other nuance of dance we explored, I explored in high school with that dance teacher. Um, But at the company, it was strictly tap jazz ballet. And then I had, I was part of another um, ballet academy, a strict ballet academy, because I wanted to improve my ballet skills for the company. So I joined another company to do that.
2: So ambitious from a very young age.
1: (laughs) I mean, my parents, I think my parents' methodology was, let's keep her as busy as possible so that one, something bad doesn't happen to her, you know, so that something bad doesn't happen to her or she doesn't go down the wrong path. They were like, if we can keep her in these like really fairly controlled environments where she'll develop a skill or she'll flourish in some sort of way, then that will be a good use of her time. And then that coupled with being, you know, in a private school from K through 12, that was essentially college prep. I mean, there was no shortage of, of homework and stuff at home. I was also, you know, i attempted to play basketball and volleyball it was not very good but I was on the team so you know their their method was to just keep me busy
0: and you mentioned that you were drawn to academics pretty early on and that was sort of your um, like safe harbor did you have like a favorite subject in school
1: no (laughs) in grammar in grammar school no no in grammar school no I think it was all I mean, I really despised math. And then my parents put me in Kumon because I was really terrible at math. And then once I understood numbers, then I i would say I excelled at that. Um, it wasn't my favorite, but I was good at it. So that was a confidence booster.
0: And probably so helpful as an entrepreneur, it's like you clearly have this very creative side, but to be able to really know the numbers of your own business and, you know, understand that and be able to speak that is a balance that... I mean, I feel like a lot of creatives starting a very creative business um, can struggle with.
1: Totally. Yeah, I, I really am grateful for, I mean, I hated it in the moment. Kumon was brutal. And my instructors at, at my Kumon office were really brutal, like so hardcore. Um, but it was a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing to have that school.
2: I think it's a really cool lesson too that you got early on. And um, it prob- it was probably more of an unintentional lesson, but it's like, you starting out as somebody who's naturally creative and adept at like using your brain in this very left brain creative, interesting way to have something that you hate and go into it, just really struggling with it. And then to do the work and to figure out that like, Oh, once this lesson was taught and I figured out how to accomplish it, I was actually, I could actually excel at it. And I think it's a really nice small window into like the fact that You know, we're all naturally good at certain things, but it doesn't mean that you can't grow and challenge yourself and become adept at other things that you're not typically as good at. Exactly.
1: Honest to goodness, I think that there's nothing we can't achieve. It's just a matter of how committed you are to achieving it. It's making the decision or having your parents make the decision for you to be, for you to be, um, to excel at something. It, It truly is a choice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. You uh, mentioned feeling uncomfortable in your own skin early on and um, really that that was sort of a catalyst for you liking having alone time and it was part of the reason that you really enjoyed, you know, diving more into your creativity. Can you tell us more about what that meant to you at that time? What it what made you feel uncomfortable? And then how did you find your way out of that or how did you grow out of that if ever?
1: Well, there's two specific instances in both grammar school and in high school that happened that really, um, I think were the silver lining that I took out of it was that it was my opportunity to develop a relationship with myself Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I can speak to anyone. I grew up in the restaurant industry. Like my sister and I are very social. We can talk to the frickin' wall. Um, But, you know, developing that relationship with yourself is very important. And, you know, this speak of self-care and self-love is fairly new for you know the general population so Mm -hmm. um so there was you know two instances one in um one in grammar school I want to say seventh grade where I had a a group of like four close girlfriends and then one of them who was my best friend she came on every um family vacation with us she she and I were you know danced at the same company we carpooled to dance every day after school um one day she just up and stopped talking to me Um, I still don't know. And this is again, in a class of 30 people. And I don't I really don't think it's because of anything that I did, because I really was a good kid. I wasn't like, doing things to try and gain popularity. I was, you know, I I played by the rules, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was fairly kind to everyone. So I'm not exactly sure what the reasoning was back then. But kind of using that and of course, it it hurt my soul because she was, you know, a sister of sorts. But you know, I never for a second thought of, you know, doing anything vindictive or like trying to do things to get her attention. It was more of like, okay, that that sucks. That's her choice. How do I mend my heart? Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, interestingly enough, a similar thing happened when I was I want to say a sophomore, freshman, no, a sophomore in, in high school, where I was friends with three other girls, and they spread rumors about me. And so I knew in that moment. I said, "I would rather have no friends than poor friends." Because for me, I was like, huh, this is interesting. This is the second time, in you know, a handful of years that I've experienced this." Um, so it was a lot of introspection of what does this say about me, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was nothing. A lot of it was you know God saying these aren't people of your caliber, so it's time to like show you the sign and get them out of your life. But again, I think that it was also a um, also a sign of me needing to focus on myself and learning that lesson young has been such a beautiful thing in the long term i mean it's such a beautiful lesson for me to know that i am so strong and secure and capable on my own and that doesn't take away from you know being sad or feminine or vulnerable or any of those other beautiful emotions those feminine emotions but also that knowing that that the relationship that you have with yourself is ultimately the most important one and it's interesting because cut to the pandemic when we were kind of all forced to be in our own little our own little pods, our own little universes. I really, actually, I'm an I'm an extroverted introvert, so I could be around people all day long, all day long. But it also, for me, it was kind of this moment, you know, illness aside, of being like, oh, wonderful, I can have this moment, I'll have this time to myself, which I didn't have before. So, you know, with with everyone, you know, in the teens, going through, um, because kids can be cruel. Mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, catty and, and, um, you know, there's hormones flying everywhere and everyone's trying to navigate everything. And I also think that there's just this culture sometimes of, of girls feeling like it's okay to treat other women poorly and just to let, to let other, you know, young ladies know that it's okay to have standards for the people that you hold within your life from a young age. You can tell yourself that, you know, you don't like the way that you feel in this moment and, and that you'd rather, you know, develop a relationship with yourself or a set um, instead of putting time and energy into those people. So another silver lining of that was that when, you know, that happened with those three, with those three women in high school, I decided to instead focus all of my attention on my academia and of course dance, you know, dance was such an amazing outlet for me, but I decided to focus solely on my academics because, you know, I didn't, want to put my energy into feeling left out at break time or lunchtime. So I worked on schoolwork. I either worked on schoolwork in the cafeteria or in the library every break and every lunch um, until I was saved by, in my my junior year, I was saved by, you know, a handful of seniors who are still my friends today, but I ended up being valedictorian. So we don't really know what that little nugget is going to be at the end, but um, that's just some inspiration that I hope to share with some of your listeners. because teens are really, really hard years, really difficult years on so many levels. So just kind of giving them permission to to do what they know is best for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that those are all like just such good points. When you talk about, um, you mentioned that they're like spreading rumors. I think it's really important to like be really specific when we talk about like bullying that happens during um, those years, um, because it comes in all shapes and sizes. And, you know, obviously back you know, when we were in high school, there wasn't as much like social media and different ways to be bullied. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about like what went on there and how you felt in the short term and kind of what you use, like, what did you turn to when suddenly this group of friends, you know?
1: Sure. So it was just one of those, I woke up one day went to school and I remember, I think going to a gym class. Um, And all of these boys just started like yelling weird things at me. And I'm like, why, why are you telling me about this? You know, like it was actually rumors about me and my boyfriend at the time. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like, this is so silly. And then experiencing that and having everyone laugh at me and then understanding, like doing some digging and knowing that it came from those girls that I was hanging out with. You know, I did a lot of thinking about if I were in their position and I heard a rumor what would I do with that information? It was a really introspective time. And so I think that, you know, I think that it's what I, what I want to kind of give across is that we all have agency. We have a choice just because everybody else is doing something doesn't mean you need to follow suit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, and in, in, you know, intuitively that someone is making fun of someone else or like a behavior is off, you don't need to join in on that. Right. Like you don't like their attention will mean nothing tomorrow, let alone in five years, 10 years. So their approval, you know? So um, I think it's just more about understanding that, you know, curveballs will come at any any point in time. Um, and I think that that those curveballs come in the form of rumors and kind of people treating you poorly verbally in high school, because kind of what else do you have to go off of? Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of your only tool to of leverage to to either uplift or tear someone down.
0: Did you feel like a need to um, defend yourself or clarify things? Because I remember an intense feeling in high school of wanting to make sure people got it right about me. Like people knew what I was about, like (laughs) going on my space and like changing my songs and my code and everything. Cause I wanted people to know the real me, you know that there's that need to have your identity come across. Did you feel like you needed to like, you know set things right?
1: So there was one teacher specifically that I went to to speak about this uh with and I was very open with her so um so transparent and really I really you know let my guard down to her unfortunately what ended up happening is I you know I just went to her for her guidance she ended up speaking to the other three girls and then it turned into an even bigger mm-hmm. thing so what I realized is that, you know, we had been at the school for so long. You know, I wasn't the most popular kid, but I was well liked. I said hi to everyone, I acknowledged everyone, was kind to everyone across the board. And my thought was: if the people who are making fun of me and the people who are watching the people making fun of me think that those things are true about me, then they don't know me, you know? Mm-hmm. And and ultimately that's okay. And it really helped me take inventory of opportunities for me to, you know, ask questions, question everything. You know, any information that you receive about anyone, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, it really kind of gave me the tools to only judge someone, I mean only God can judge us, but only judge someone based on our own experiences with them. Mm-hmm. And that moment I was like if they're if people are going to go out of their way to make fun of me and spread rumors about me, then And other people are going to believe them, then that's on them. So I need to do my due diligence to only take information from people, you know, out of my experiences with them, you know, and that's kind of when the like actions speak louder than words methodology came into really came into practice in my life.
2: Yeah, I love how you channeled that energy into productive behavior, too. It's also really striking that you had a way of having, you know, even such a even at such a young age, having clarity around your own self-awareness because I think that for so many young women or so many young people at that time in life, like high school is a time when you're developing not just agency, but also this sense of self and this sense of identity like Asha was mentioning. And I think that that's kind of like the origin story of a lot of bullies and also the people that are being bullied because you have on the one hand, some kids who feel like they need to show up in such a way, but can only do it by putting other people down. And then you have those that are being bullied that are struggling with why is this happening to me and where do I fit into this? So it's so interesting to me to hear that your perspective was to really channel that. And um, and I wonder if that's because from such a young age, you really had this great relationship with yourself and and a lot of encouragement from your parents to, you know, use your productivity in such creative ways.
1: Yes, but I will also add that my parents were on the older side when they had me, and then very much on the older side when they had my children, and there was this um, hierarchy to my household. So my parents were my parents. They weren't my friends. There was an element of respect, and, you know, I you know, did my contributions in the form of, you know, excelling in academia, and they provided for us tenfold. Um, so I do want to point out that I didn't, I have now been in therapy every week just for, you know, personal maintenance for the last three years, and it's the best thing I could have ever done. Um, But back then, I actually didn't speak to my parents about this issue. Hmm. Um, I don't actually remember speaking... To many people, aside from God, about this issue, aside from that one teacher who ultimately turned her back on me, in my opinion, um, because my thought was the more people I tell this to, the more people have control over the narrative, but also over my story. And so, um, you know, without without you know access to to a therapist back then, I really became you know i i became um introverted with the issue and you know luckily i think that my parents really helped equip me with um the wherewithal to manage those emotions inadvertently because yeah. they didn't know that i was dealing with this when i was dealing with it um because it was i was embarrassed yeah. you know it was it's embarrassing to be made fun of and then if people are like oh well people are saying that about you is it true and it's like i don't even that's like not even the point the point is that my feelings are hurt and um, you know, so I, I really think that's, that really leaning on my spirituality was really helpful.
0: I think you like kind of implicitly in there too. Um, there is like the message that, you know, you, you take the silver lining out of every situation. I feel like every point that we've touched on every little struggle, like you, you are such a person that like draws the silver lining out of everything. And, um, you know, bullying is such a, it's such a hot topic because it really it it does emerge throughout life like people always like you hear the word bullying and you think of like kids in the, the schoolyard but it I feel like especially the more success you have the more attention positive and negative sometimes is placed on you and someone um, told me once it's like okay if, if someone's best use of their time is to try to focus on you and bring you down you're winning because their focus is on you you know, rather than on whatever they could be working on and and doing themselves. If their focus is on you and they're trying to bring you down, there's nothing more you need to do in this situation because clearly your your whatever you're doing is of more value than whatever they are.
1: Right. I think for me, I don't really think of it as like a winning or a losing. I think of it more as um, ooh, that feels icky or that's icky behavior, and they have to take that up with God. Yeah. You know, and then at the end of the day, you know, you have to ask yourself if you're proud of who you, you look at in the mirror. Um, and at the end of all of this, we have to, you know, report to the big guy upstairs and take inventory of the people that we loved on and the people that maybe, you know, we hurt, you know, that we hurt along the way. And, and so, you know, for me, I've, I've seen it from, a, this is, this is not to say that I wasn't hurt by it. My God, I was devastated, like tears every night, like trying to hold myself together, you know, during class, sitting next to the people who like, you know, just completely, We're trying to rip apart my reputation, which, you know, I was very proud of my reputation and my name and I still am, but I think it's just more about like knowing that there's a reason for everything. So I think that having that curiosity really helped me when I was younger to know that ultimately in that moment, it seems like this is everything. Like this is your entire world and your entire life is engulfed by this, by this issue or by this moment. But ultimately like this is not where it ends. You know, there's, there's so much more to this.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the experience of, um, you know, leaving that environment of these kids that you had been in the same school with for so long and going to college and like what you wanted to focus on in college, what the experience of like being in a new place with completely new people was like for you?
1: What is the, the phrase where, where your energy flows some, like basically where your energy flows, that's where you'll have success like where your energy flows your success grows something like that. There's a there's a saying along those lines. And so it was very interesting because again, not talking about winning or losing because this is all about our relationships with ourselves and, you know, our relationship with with the universe, but I remember at the end of my senior year becoming valedictorian and giving that speech and also getting into, you know, I think the only school I applied to that I didn't get into is Stanford and kind of having choice of where I wanted to go and seeing them not go to their top schools. It wasn't like a, ha ha, I did this and you didn't. It was very much an aha moment of like, oh, I put energy into my schoolwork and into myself. And that's where the blossom happened. And if I didn't do that, if God didn't show me their true colors early on in my high school experience, I might have put energy into them that would have taken away from what I was meant to do.
0: Mm -hmm. and the things that you knew would have returned Mm -hmm. really. And even, I mean, we have kind of talked about different things, but this whole time you were still kind of nurturing this jewelry interest. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like what, what was going on with that? Sure.
1: Sure. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned in, in, you know, my early grammar school days, I sold, you know, on my jewelry on a little card table at my summer, summer fairs in my hometown. And then you know, in grammar school I would sell jewelry to my fellow dancers at my dance companies and then in high school I would go around with flyers and make jewelry for people for prom and and winter ball and you know just kind of promote I I didn't even think of it as a business. It was like I would love to make more jewelry. Like someone give me an excuse to make more jewelry. I'll sell it to you for less than what the what the cost of the materials are. Like I didn't even care. I honestly feel like I paid them to wear my jewelry. Um it was just, I couldn't get enough of it. And then, not the best business model. I would recommend maybe not doing that.
2: <laughs> I was like, well, we'll jump to that a little bit later.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, then cut to um, college. And and obviously having this hobby and being able to use that on my college applications was interesting, right? It's just interesting to have done something, you know, for over 10 years when you're graduating, graduating high school, that's that's fairly interesting to kind of like you know step of, step aside from the crowd. And so in college, I think when I was, I think when Asha, when we were sophomores, my um, my pieces were featured on American Idol. A former dance teacher at my dance company ended up you know graduating high school and moving down to LA was uh, she became a, a wardrobe stylist. Our moms met. My parents old. Um, or my parents' former restaurant. They got to chatting, introduced us via text, and then she ended up coming over, or we actually no, we met at a Starbucks, and I brought everything that I had. There was no like collection, like it was just random stuff of me being creative. And she pulled a bunch of things and a bunch of pieces and ended up featuring that on on American Idol. And back then this was just when social media was just emerging and gaining a lot of traction. And so, you know, getting TV credits was still, still huge. Everyone, you know, had their eyes on the TV, especially American Idol. And so, you know, when Brooke White is the name of the singer who was on the red carpet, um, they featured her. And then on the screen, it was, you know, Michael Kors, Rebecca Minkoff, and Maren Costello. And this was at the height of Michael Kors and Rebecca Minkoff. This is when like everyone had a Michael Kors watch. Like this was, you know, the apex of, of their respective businesses. Um, uh, and their business is, you know, booming. And so, um after that, I started getting somehow people got my email and they got my phone number and they started calling me, and you know, reps from PR agencies and marketing agencies and all these different places started calling. And I thought, jokes on them. I'm in a you know a twin bed in a cigarette box of a dorm room in college, and my bead my bead kits are in plastic underneath my bed. But at that point, I thought, oh, interesting. maybe this thing's have this thing has legs. And also, I wanted to present myself as a professional, right? With, you know, graduation kind of, kind of on the horizon. And so I immediately got, all right, I um, registered for a business license. And back then I didn't know what to call my jewelry brand. I thought, you know, Mimi's Jewels or like jewelry something. And I was like, ah, oh, that just like, this sounds like there's a timestamp. And so I thought, well, you know, my, my last name is, is strong. My, my first name is strong. I'll just put the business as my name and do a DBA later. And DBA means doing business as, Mm -hmm. meaning you can have a parent company and then have, you know, many companies underneath it that have different names that still operate under the umbrella company. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, oh, I'll do a DBA later. And I never did. And, you know, over time, as I used, as I developed photo shoots and, you know, I would get in front of the camera to show the models how to, how to pose and how to, you know, really feature the jewelry, um, you know, my style evolved. Um, you know, the ugly duckling was slowly, surely, you know, turning into a swan. And so the photographers that I use for my for my lookbooks and photo shoots often would ask to take photos of me. And once I released a couple of those, um, people on the internet just couldn't get enough. And so ultimately, I have become the face of my brand, even though we do use models, and we do have like a, you know, a large influencer base, but um, it, it's that's kind of how it has all evolved.
0: Well, It's been such a beautiful thing because after after college, when we reconnected, it was, you know, backstage at fashion shows. And I, you know, remember seeing your brand evolving and it's always had this very distinct style. But, um, you know, at that time, you weren't completely in front of the camera that much. And then suddenly it was like a little bit more, a little bit more. And I'm like, damn, this girl is like edge and style and she's got the poses like it has been such a, just a beautiful thing to watch. You really step into your own. And um, to have a brand that is eponymous, that's your name, um, is a really difficult thing to do, especially uh, to do it with, uh, you know, longevity, as you clearly have, um, is really, really impressive.
1: Thank you. I, and I want to share that out of college, I was still doing jewelry. Um, I had a sole proprietorship, you know, with the business. I was still doing jewelry on the side, but I got um, a job in event production and we specialized in fashion show production. And so that's when Asha and I continued to you know, develop our friendship because I was producing the events that she was modeling in. And I feel like being in that high-end luxury fashion environment with professional models really helped shape my my creative eye my eye for the consumer my eye for design like that was really so instrumental in developing the brand that is today Um, because again when I first was you know introduced to the event production business it was still very much a hobby there was really you know very little cohesion throughout the quote-unquote collection and it was still very PC and and the identity hadn't been fleshed out yet.
0: Well, I think that that, especially that opportunity and I mean, just the nature of that kind of event production is it's very, it's fast. It's everything is like hurry up and wait. Like people are moving a lot of moving parts and then everything also works in seasons too. So for you to have kind of witnessed the the underbelly really of like how how these seasonal cycles work and who are all the players and, you know, like who are the tastemakers and you know the decision makers. Um, it's like one of those things that we were talking about earlier, where it's like every opportunity. You know, you maybe didn't even realize all of the things that you would glean from this opportunity of working in event production that really translated into your business later on. It's so
1: true. I think that college really helped me develop my writing skills and yes, my networking skills um, and just being able to talk to different people and being put in different environments. Um, but truly for me, college was was writing, honing in on my ability to, whether it be text the way that I speak or convey, you know, a, a various, various emotions through email or in our blogs. Um, and then in event production, of course, I got such a robust, you know, such a robust experience in actual fashion show production, which ultimately has led to, you know, how I style my photo shoots. Um, but ultimately when you're behind the scenes of a live fashion show and we produced fashion shows i mean like up, up to 10 fashion shows a day it was like one after another like nonstop it creates such a sense of urgency and a level of excellence that you have to be on all the time and yes you're going to make mistakes and things are going to happen but it's also it also taught me you know how to come back from those mistakes quickly I mean, the sense of urgency and efficiency that that job taught me was just invaluable.
0: Did you ever, have you had any situations in business or in life where you just felt like you failed or something, you know, you let someone down or someone let you down, like, you know, in the pits moments? Um, and how did you work your way out? of? Sure. That? So to kind of get a,
1: um, I have a, I have an example from this week, from yesterday, actually. Um, so just to kind of give some context to the brand, you know, we're in upward of 150 doors. I have a full staff and team. Um, we have I have multiple companies. I have the jewelry business and my consulting agency, and then I also run my own podcast. Um it is nonstop, and we are so on top of our of our staff at the company, but it is truly, you know, a top-level, high-performing environment. We recently partnered with the with a texting app because my thought was You know, people get so many emails and are inundated with emails and, you know, people don't really, there's, there's a lack of sweetness that used to exist in receiving an email from a brand. So we thought, well, why don't we try texting and let's not get spammy. Let's do very strategic texting and tell our past customers, like, we appreciate you, here's your discount code. Well, well, we planned this, this text to go out to over a thousand people. And we went through, you know, the back end of what the text was going to be like with this company, and um, you know, really had every. We thought we had everything in place. And with this company, there are placeholders. So if you put a website in, there's a placeholder that you put in, or if there's a discount code, you know, there's there's a certain code or placeholder that you put in. And we sent this text to over a thousand people, and instead of the actual code and website populating the original the original text that we put in there so it would say instead of marin costello it said brand name instead of the actual code it said discount code and it looked so spammy and gross and you know for me that was devastating because these are customers that I've had for many of them I've had for over two decades and everything we do I mean there's handwritten notes in every box we go above and beyond to make sure our customers are happy we you know, call our retailers at least once every two months to like have that personal connection. Like we're so invested in the community element of the brand. And so that was, that was a huge, that was a huge deal. And of course, like, what can you do? It's already out. Like we sent a follow-up text and we're like, oops, like it looks like it didn't go through. Here's another, you know, like take two kind of a thing, Um, which is like cute and like forgivable. But, but um, I mean, mistakes happen all the time. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I'm like, okay, well, is that the lesson that maybe texting isn't for us? Maybe there's something else, or maybe this is the wrong texting company. For me, I try again when SHIT hits the fan. (laughs) I try and not, I try and not look at it as this is the end of the world. For me, there's wins and lessons, not wins and losses. So I try and find the lesson in whatever it is, um, because ultimately it's the universe talking to you or talking to me. Um, and for me to kind of unpack the puzzle.
2: Absolutely. And it's such a great way and such a great thing to use as a catalyst for, you know, how to pivot. And I know that word is used so often, but, you know, even little mistakes like that, like you said, you can use them as, okay, how do I address this in A, B, or C way? And what's the best move? Like, what's the next best move? Because I think the worst thing you can do after a failure is just freeze. And not do anything or to freeze and just take on that guilt and shame and not do anything productive with it. Um, Not to say those feelings aren't valid, but you can't live in them. So I just love your mindset and how far that has gotten you in life. Um, So I think we want to jump a little bit to a small section of our interviews. As you might know, Bridget is very invested in developing confidence and communication skills in young girls. And part of our interviews really focus on the origin stories of these badass women because we understand that it's through these life lessons that you acquire those skills. No one's really born with it and you have to work on it every day. So my question for you, we have a couple, but in the nonstop of everything that's going on because you live an incredibly busy and productive and wonderful life. How do you continue to give yourself space and how do you see yourself now as a whole person? Because you started off, you know, not, maybe not confident is not the word, but you did, you expressed that you had some things that you struggled with. So you've obviously over decades and all of these beautiful lessons created a new, new path in life for yourself. So how, how do you give yourself that space and how do you see yourself now?
1: Oh man. I think it ultimately comes back to confidence
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what and what you put your energy and weight of that confidence in. For me it was skills. Um you know knowing that I was, you know, a former fat kid. I know I know that, you know, body image and our the physical is fleeting. Like the physical can change. I mean, we just don't know what can happen. Like there could be a tragedy, you know, and it could compromise the way that you look physically. But your skills, skills are things that people can't take away from you. Similarly to, um, you know, any other accomplishment that you have, whether that's a marker of athletics or a marker of academia, like those skills are things that people like those are things that you can carry with you. Um, Giving myself space is has been a lifelong journey because I'm so good at being a workaholic and so good at just doubling down and devoting every waking second to you know, either a project or, you know, academia when I was younger or or now work. But I think that, you know, understanding, having a self-awareness to know, okay, that's enough for today, Mm -hmm. you know, and if there are still things on the to-do list, it's a conversation of, okay, well, we didn't get everything done today that we needed to get done. How do we hack tomorrow and get even better at time management and at time blocking to ensure that this doesn't happen again, or at least it doesn't happen frequently. Um, and then, but again, you know, I, I would prefer to be on the heavy end of work. I really enjoy my work. I love achieving excellence within that space. Um, I feel very, very lucky to be in this position. and um, also during the season before having a significant other before having children, I really see it as a privilege to have this extra time. So knowing intuitively that you know, if family and partnership is is in, is in my future, and that will ultimately take energy, as Asha knows. Um, What can I double down on now so that I can kind of front load, if you will, Mm -hmm. before that time comes? And then on a micro level, it has to do with whatever I'm doing in that moment is what I'm doing in that moment. I'm not thinking of the next five minutes. I'm not thinking of tomorrow. I'm not thinking of what happened 15 minutes ago. Like I'm on this podcast with you guys, and this is consuming my full attention. And when I learned how to be Fully present and fully immersed in whatever the project or the task that I was doing in that one moment is like when I learned that skill, that's when everything shifted for me. That's when I became more productive and ultimately happier and less stressed because I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being pulled in a million directions. There's a million things that I'll do in a day, but. But I am very, very mindful of the boundaries that I place on. I'm doing this now. I'm doing this now. And I'm also very communicative with my team in that. I'm like, hey, guys, hopping on a 1 p.m. call. I'll get to you afterwards, something mm-hmm. like that.
0: How many te- people are on your team right now?
1: Two full time. And we're in the process of hiring interns. Um, we are a small but very mighty team. In fact, my my sweet mentor said to me, I want to say about a year ago, she said, it looks like you have a team you know, from 10 to 20 working on your brand because it's so well-developed. And that to me was just like the highest of compliments because, um, you know, I think it's a testament to all the years. I mean, I didn't wake up, you know, a year ago and go, I think I'm going to start a jewelry brand. Like this has obviously been a labor of love for over two decades, but it also speaks to, you know, how wonderful my team members are, how wonderful my staff is and, and what I have learned as a boss in terms of delegating things to them and ultimately trusting them, trusting my team members who happen to be other women, trusting other women with, you know, carrying out this vision with, you know, having them lean on their talents. It's really, that was the highest of compliments.
0: Do you have any best practices when it comes to communication itself, especially as a leader?
1: Yes. So, um, and I want to go back to the staff question because that's my immediate team. I mean, we have like, you know, over 20 factories that we work with. That doesn't include, you know, my lawyer, my accountant, all the other, my mentors, Mm -hmm. my other business advisors, um, people that I consider to be the board of the company. So I feel like a loose extension of that would probably be, would probably be around 20 people. But my internal team that I communicate with on a daily basis is there's three of us and it's soon to be five. Um, and then, and then, you know, all of our respective contractors and, and factories and things like that. My, you know, radio show producer, there's a lot of members, there's a lot of like second tier team members, if you will. Yes. What was the next question?
2: Communication best practices.
0: Yeah. Things that you like, are, are you regular, like other team meetings that you're always doing when you, you work with people or you're asking people to do things on your behalf? Are there any like regular reminders that you kind of follow or structures that help you communicate with your team?
1: So One thing that I learned about, you know, being in the fashion industry early on in my career, um, I learned a lot about how I don't want to run a company or what environment I don't want to be in, in terms of um, having it be passive aggressive at times, kind of like your stereotypical, you know, Devil Wears Prada fashion environment. I knew that I didn't want it to be like so high stress that we were made to pretend to believe that making jewelry is more important than family. Um, I knew that Um, I wanted to have this grounded perspective and I wanted to be very, you know, I wanted to put pressure on my employees in the best way to like challenge them to become, you know, their best selves. But I also don't want us to pretend like this is the end all be all and that, you know, we're not getting stressed out and getting ulcers and, you know, shingles from this. It's to me, it's not that deep. It's, you know, do what you're supposed to do, do it extremely well and then have a life. I'm actually more adamant about my staff having a life on the nights and weekends than I am of myself. as far as communication, we're super transparent. I, like we spoke about earlier, um, my schedule is jam-packed. Um, you know, today, for example, I had calls every hour on the hour from nine to nine um, and not including, you know, the correspondence with my team, other emails that need to go out, you know, all the other um, ins and outs of running the business. Um, what has really helped us a lot is transparency is transparency. And I think that's also another buzzword, you know, transparency and authenticity are definitely buzzwords, but I, in conversation, you know, I had a conversation with my head of ops today and she fully believes that we embody that, you know, she has a corporate background and she has worked at corporate companies um, for most of her career and she's, you know, 40 plus. So she is really seasoned in the corporate environment. And so, you know, she gave us the the beautiful compliment of saying that we function like a fortune 500 company, but there's that transparency element. Um, and there is that preparation to grow. And so I think that, yes, as far as team goes, I do speak to my team members at some point throughout the day. Right. Because there's, you know, most often correspondence, we let each other know when we're signing on, when we're signing off when we're taking breaks, just so that there's like full communication of like, why haven't we heard from Danny in an hour? Well, that's because she's enjoying her lunch as she should. And so, you know, we're very adamant about communicating, communicating with each other at full transparency, um, because I I did not want to create a passive aggressive environment.
0: I love that. That makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. And that energy, it's like one, one little cog, you know, if, if one person has an, the more negative energy or is not communicating, it can throw. The whole work environment.
1: Totally. One thing that um, my head of creative and marketing said to me this week is that um, you know we're in the process of interning other future employees, and one thing that she said during the interview is that um, within this team, um, and this is something that she said she learned from me, um, is that whenever there's an issue, there's never a blame game. It's not. We're not going to spend time, you know, moping about the issue. We're going to look at the issue and go great. This is a wonderful opportunity to figure out a solution. What's Mm -hmm. the answer? Let's channel all of that energy that could be, you know, that could be complaining, that could be, you know, getting down on ourselves, that could be pointing the finger. Let's, we're not even going to go there. And we're going to shift that into what's the solution. And um, one thing that, another, you know, huge element of, of our company is that, you know, we are kind, we're very direct, but we're very kind. And I do believe that there's space to do both at the same time.
0: Now I always love asking about people's morning routines. You seem like a kind of person that has a morning routine. Do you? I do.
1: I, I do fairly. Um, I was in a car accident, you know, a few months ago. So oftentimes, uh, with for the last three months, my morning routine, um, I've given given myself grace and allowed myself to rest in the morning because sometimes my body's still getting adjusted. But make pretend we're we're you know full force and we're working at a hundred percent. After waking up, it would be, you know, brushing brushing your teeth, getting dressed, putting a workout, um, workout outfit on, doing a workout at my place, drinking celery juice. There would probably be some element of either journaling of, you know, writing down my dreams if I remembered them or, you know, uh, writing in my five minute journal, depending upon what I was called to write about. Um, and I I like silence. To me, silence is when I get all my downloads. It's when I can actually hear myself. Um, I'm not, um, a superstar that can listen to music and do emails at the same time. I'll start typing the, the lyrics of the song. Like it just doesn't work. So I really enjoy my silence. Um, and usually I will go over my schedule for the day, try and get some emails out of the way and some correspondence out of the way. And then it's, and then it's go time.
0: Well, perfect. I think this is a good point to go ahead and do our fast five, which is sort of the close of our interview. Um, as much as I feel like we could just chat forever, it's been so fun um, doing this little podcast exchange and reconnecting again. Um, but we'll jump into our Fast Five because those are always fun. Um, Keesh, do you want to start sure. with the one? Okay. So what is your
2: power outfit?
1: I'm wearing it. So it's a bodysuit um, and high-waisted pants and a blazer. I love it. And a ton of jewelry. Always a ton of jewelry.
0: Do you have a favorite jewelry piece?
1: Oh, that's like asking who my favorite child is. So there are certain pieces who have had such longevity in the line that they just, they come to mind, you know, immediately when you ask that question. They're not necessarily my favorite because they're all my children. But um, one bracelet that I actually designed in college is called the Bowser bracelet, um, named after the Bowser character. Yes. um, From Mario Kart or from Super Mario. And it is a, an interlocking spike bracelet on elastic um, that was ultimately the piece that launched the quote unquote brand that became the first recognizable, truly recognizable piece in the, in the collection. Um, it's actually a piece that was knocked off by many of the, many of the big brands. So, um, I kind of knew that there, that there were legs to this business when that specific piece, I saw it pop up, you know, after I designed it, I saw it pop up in all the, all the major, um, luxury
2: brands. Love it. I love it. I was actually just Googling because I needed to see it with my own eyes. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know which one this is, but I needed to see it. Um, I know you said you love your silence, but what, if any, is you, like the theme song to your life?
1: Pretty stumped by this. It's interesting because leaning into the silence, I oftentimes, I, I of course listen to music. I, I love music, having my dance background. And I grew up on, you know, oldies and Motown and the Beatles and And I I love music so much, but there's this one, um, this one meditative song that I listen to and it's called, you know, I think it's called the billionaire mindset. Um, and so it's just this like beautiful, calming song that ultimately helps me, you know, get into my body, um, get into a meditative state, become one with God, one with the universe and, you know, make play, don't make pretend. And ultimately I think that's what manifesting is. I love it.
0: Do you have a hero? Is there one person that you would just love to sit down to coffee with?
1: I think that I would. If my grandma was still around, both of my grandmothers. If my if if my grandmothers were still around, I would love to speak with them about their experiences being women during that time, and also their experiences as mothers, Um, and in running their respective businesses. My paternal, you know, grandmother also helped run my, or also ran my, um, my dad's parents' restaurant together. So, um, Mm. both of my grandparents, my parents had a business together and both of my respective pairs of grandparents also had businesses together. And so that was my reality growing up. So I didn't realize that there was so much magic in them just existing and going about their days. I think I would, I would really love to talk with my, my grandparents, my grandmothers about, their lives and how, how they did it.
2: Do you have a favorite affirmation?
1: The, one of the most powerful affirmations that we have access to is I am. And it's, that is a complete sentence. And you can also add words on, onto the end of that. Um, and for me, that's, that's all I need. I love that.
0: we always try to, um, kind of close things out with the same question, um, which is, not part of our fast five. Um, But looking back on your teen self, what's one attribute that you had then, but you didn't see the value in at that time, but you appreciate so much more now that you're an adult?
1: I think that introspection to lean into kindness, even when people are being cruel. And that means being, you can be kind to them and still set a boundary, um, but also be kind to yourself. So for me to say, you know, I'm, I'm hurt by you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to set the boundary of not being your friend anymore. And that's not me punishing myself or me punishing you. I just need to remove access of me to you. And so, kind of, that agency, I think, is something that um, looking back on, I'm really proud of myself for that.
2: I just love that. Well, you are incredibly impressive, Marin. I have been taking notes this entire interview. Um, (laughs) and sometimes I couldn't write fast enough, but I'm, we're, we're so thrilled that you spent some time with us this evening and that we get to share this beautiful story, your compassion, your kindness, your eloquence just blows us away and it makes perfect sense why you are the superstar that you are. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: You guys are the best. Thank you for having me.
0: And where can, where can people find you right now? What are you uh, promoting, working on? Uh, what do you, pe- what do you want people to know?
1: Sure. So as I mentioned, the umbrella company, Marin Costello LLC has three prongs. Um, you can find myself at Marin Costello on Instagram and also MarenCostello.com that will speak to all of the, the consulting agency and all of the one-on-one work I do with other business owners. The jewelry company is Shop Costello on Instagram and ShopMarinCostello.com. And then our beloved podcast is Marin Costello Radio on Instagram and also Marin Costello Radio on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: Well, thank you so much, Marin. Um This was just a treat. We'll talk again soon. And
2: that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. No
1: matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world.